morning is from 1 Corinthians, beginning at chapter 12, verse 31, and continuing through chapter 14, verse 1. And I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Pursue love. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Well, good morning. My name is Jeff. I am one of the pastors here. It is uh, good to be here with you as we begin this new series. Uh, and before we go any further, I invite you to please join with me in prayer. Father, again, uh, as we have already been speaking with you in some ways this whole time, has been a conversation where you have reminded us of who you are and we have responded in praise and worship and prayer. Even now, we, we speak directly to you asking for your continued help. Lord, we desire to know you more deeply and be more deeply shaped by you. For we know that in you, fullness of life is found, and in your love we are made whole. And so we pray now as we begin to consider this, this love that you give us to give towards each other, that you would not only teach us, but that you would shape us to make us more and more like Christ Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've already mentioned, beginning this morning, we are starting, I guess you could say, a new project together. A project that will be taking us from now through the middle of November. And uh, that project is simple. And perhaps it almost sounds a little bit corny, but hopefully you'll bear with me. That, that project is for us together, you and me, to grow in our capacity to love. To grow in love. The reason we're doing this is many, but perhaps the best one, the best explanation, is found right at the very last verse of our passage. We are commanded by God. It says, pursue love. 
We are commissioned by the God who, to whom we belong to stretch ourselves, to pursue growing in our capacity to love. So that's what we're going to be aiming to do together over the next weeks. And, and my hope this morning as we kind of begin this project is to convince you, if you're not already convinced, that this is a worthwhile endeavor. This is something that you should expend your energy towards. And I think actually this passage, one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, is a passage that seeks to persuade us of this very thing. Really in this passage, I think we see that we want to grow in love, that we need to grow in love, and that we can grow in love. First, you and I, we want to grow in love. Just to give a little bit of context in this passage, uh, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and this is right in the middle of that letter. And the Corinthian church, it seems, had a number of people who were deeply ambitious. Uh, just kind of learning from clues. If you look at the letter and some of the things that Paul says, it seems that they were aspiring to what we might call spiritual greatness. And that is not a bad thing. Ambition is not a bad thing. Desiring spiritual greatness is not a bad thing. The problem is oftentimes when we're pursuing greatness, we, we pursue the wrong things and we pursue them in the wrong way. And, and that's what we have here. We see with the Corinthian church that, that when they were pursuing greatness, they were identifying themselves with certain kind of celebrity figures. They were, they were seeking to become more knowledgeable than those people around them. They were wanting to have especially the showy spiritual gifts. That's how they were seeking greatness. And Paul, and that's where we kind of come to this passage, Paul says to this group of people who are ambitious, he says, now, let me show you a more excellent way than this. The more excellent way than celebrity, than giftedness, the knowledge, the most excellent way, is love. And really where he begins in the, the first part of this passage is how love is absolutely essential. Without love, you have nothing. You can go through all of the things. So verse 1, he talks about spiritual giftedness. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, this is an incredibly gifted person that's being described. And, and we understand the attraction to giftedness, don't we? I mean, thousands upon thousands of people will go to hear someone who, who speaks in a way that captivates your attention, where you find that you're hanging on his every word. We, we understand when, when there's this charismatic leader who seems to build his business out of nothing, we will read his book. We want to be gifted. We aspire to giftedness. Tell me if I'm, should I just, I'm trying to find myself. Is this the right spot? Okay. Um, we aspire to, we admire giftedness. But here's what Paul says. Paul says, if I can speak in the tongue of men and angels, but I don't have love, I have nothing. Gifts make us impressive, but gifts do not make us great. Think for a moment of, of two figures that are famous in history, Abraham Lincoln and Adolf Hitler. Both of them had a similar gift mix. They were both incredibly effective speakers. They both knew how to use power to accomplish certain ends, and yet 
One is one of the greatest figures in history, and one is one of the worst figures in history. And the difference was not their giftedness. Their difference was love. See, without love, giftedness means nothing. And then then Paul, in verse 2, goes on, and he says, if I have spiritual depth. So it says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, this is a spiritually deep person that's being described. And again, we aspire to spiritual depth. Some of us might really desire a deeper spirituality, a, a sense that God is real, a confidence in our prayers, the ability to see when prayer is answered. Others of us maybe desire and really look up to those who seem to to know their Bibles well, who can explain how the Bible holds together, who can speak about the deep things of the Trinity. But Paul says, if you are spiritually deep in these ways, but you do not have love, it's worth nothing. You know, it's entirely possible to have this awareness of God, this depth of prayer, this ability to see God in your life and to be utterly disinterested in other people. And if you are, it's an empty spirituality. And it's incredibly possible to be a scholar who knows every verse of the Bible, who understands all of the theological truths and richness, and yet that makes you arrogant and feel superior to others, And that is nothing before God. Without love, spiritual depth is nothing. And then perhaps most surprisingly, without love, even the greatest of deeds are nothing. If I give away all I have. Imagine someone who has a lot of wealth and then at a certain point decides, I want to give it all away. So in, in Paul's day, imagine someone, he comes to the deacon and says, let me give it all to the poor that are in our church. And he does, he sells his home, he sells his possessions. He doesn't have anything besides the clothing on his back because he's given it all. And what's more, in this church, maybe there's persecution and he's imprisoned and he holds fast, fast to his confession and even is burnt at the stake. He surrenders his body to the flames Surely this is a great person who does all of these things. And Paul says, no. Even if I do all of these things, but have not love, I gain nothing. It's it's of no value in God's eyes. I have seen people whose whose lives are are devoted to charitable work, to, to nonprofit. They give and give and give and give, And yet, to the people that are closest to them, they are cold and they are cruel. And there's this sense of resentment and looking down on others and maybe even almost a martyrdom complex. Why aren't other people doing the things that we all should be doing? I've seen that because I see that in myself. It's entirely possible to do all of the right things for all the wrong reasons, to to give ourselves because we want to be perceived as giving, because we want to think of ourselves as good. And Paul says, if, if you do even the greatest of things, but you do it without love, it is nothing. I mean, this is quite the list. Spiritual gifts that are impressive. Spiritual depth of connection with God. The ability to do so many things, and yet none of them have greatness if they don't have love. Love is what is essential. 
We want to grow in love. And Paul says even more than this. He says not only is love essential, but love is eternal. That's the point that begins in, in verse 8, where it says love never ends. There's never a time when love will not be valuable. There are a lot of other things that will find kind of an expiration date that will have a shelf life. Paul likens our stage right now to spiritual childhood. We are in our infancy. There's so much that you and I don't understand about God, about what it means to follow. And so in this day and age, we do need these gifts of teaching and prophecy and mysteries and all the things that help us to come to understand what we don't because we're so young in the faith. But there will be a day when, when those things just really aren't needed, when, when Christ returns and we know fully and those spiritual gifts are of no value. They're redundant. Because we will be seeing God face to face. There will be a day when all of the work that I have done, all of my studies, will be redundant. My preaching gifts will be utterly unnecessary. Just like there will be a day for those of you who are in the medical profession where your gifts of healing will not be needed. Or for those of you who are in the legal profession where your gifts of helping bring justice won't be needed anymore either because all of those things will be fulfilled in Christ. But there will still be love. In fact, love will be even more central as we meet God face to face, as we're given greater capacity to love others and we deepen our relationships. Love will still remain. At the end of the day, there will be faith, because we will continue to trust in Christ. There will be hope because every day we will look forward to what God's goodness will show us in that day. But above and beyond this, there will be love. The greatest, he says, of these is love. The greatest thing for us to pursue is love. There are so many things that you and I seek to get better at, I think, whether it's us trying to become more physically fit or wanting our kids to grow in their ability to understand math or science or get better at work. There are different ways we want to improve ourselves, but have you ever made it your project to grow in love? If not, why not? Is, is there anything that is more precious, more important to us than our ability to love? It's essential. It's eternal. We want to grow in love. And what's more, we need to grow in love. And by that I mean the more that we come to understand what love is, the more that we come to understand who we are, the more inadequate we feel. The more aware we are of just how much room we still have to grow when it comes to love. That, I think, is really what verses 4 through 7 move us to. They, they experience us. You might be familiar with verses 4 through 7, the ones that begin with love is patient, love is kind. If you've been to really almost any number of weddings, you've probably heard this read at a wedding, right? This is like the famous love passage. And, and oftentimes that scene in the wedding where it's read just, I guess you can say it feels just incredibly romantic, right? You've got the, the bride and the groom who have already said, I do, but haven't yet made their final vows. They're, they're 
holding hands maybe or looking at each other while someone, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, and just like everything feels so romantic. Now, I, I want to suggest that actually this passage has much less to do with romance and much more to do with realism. Uh, not that this is an inappropriate passage to read during a wedding. It's absolutely appropriate as long as we understand that what's going on here is not an ode to the power of love. Now that you're in love, let me tell you the beauty of the love that you're in. No, that's not what it's saying. It's now that you've committed to love, let me tell you your job description. And it's going to be hard. In some ways, Paul, I think, is saying, do you want to love? Do you, do you think of yourself as a loving person? Not just talking to married couples now, to all of us. Do you think of yourself as a, a loving person? Before you answer, let's think about what love really is. And so he starts. Love is patient. Or as some translations have it, and I think I like this better just because of how it depicts things, love is long-suffering. And notice, that's not only where he begins, that's where he ends. Love endures all things. He begins in a thoroughly unromantic note when he's talking about love. Love means whoever you are committed to loving, you're going to have to endure their junk. You're going to have to, when you're doing love, experience things that will be hard, and yet you will persist. When you seek to love, you are going to find yourself annoyed by the people you love. You just are. I mean, you'll have that friend that, that any time you seek to kind of share something, they seek to fix it. Oh, I'm just feeling really sad right now. Oh, really? Have you tried exercising? And like you hear things like that, and it just kind of mm, drives you nuts, right? Or, or you'll have a friend that you're always trying to do stuff with, and they always seem to flake out. And then it can also get beyond irritation. Sometimes when you're loving, you can get hurt. You share something in confidence that you don't want repeated, and then suddenly you find out that everyone seems to know it. You feel betrayed. And it can go beyond even the incidental. With the people that we really commit ourselves to loving, there can be extended times, not just rough patches, but long periods of time, years with, with our parents, or with a spouse, or with a child, where it is just agonizingly hard to love that person. Where it's painful, where it feels like your differences are utterly irreconcilable. And yet Paul says love is long-suffering. It endures. Love continues even when we are getting absolutely nothing out of the relationship. And it doesn't just hang on. It says love hopes all things. That is, to the degree that is even possible. And sometimes it's not, but to the degree that it is, love continues to pursue growing in that relationship and making it better, even though hoping means you're opening yourself up to heartbreak. Love is long-suffering. And it says love is kind. Kindness, I think, can be defined as an attentiveness to the well-being of someone else, even at the expense of your own. Being attentive, paying attention. When I think of kindness, I think of a man by the name of Robertson McQuilkin. Uh, 
he uh, and his wife, Muriel, uh, were first uh, missionary in Japan for a little more than a decade before he eventually became president of a college. And it was at some point in his marriage when he and his wife were in their 50s that Muriel just started seeming a little bit more spacey. She would you know, repeat stories within the span of just a few minutes. She would forget details. And eventually, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And they were crushed. And a few years later, it became clear that she had just declined so that she could not function on her own. Whenever Robertson would be away to do work, she would get really panicky, and she would kind of walk and try to find him, and it wouldn't go well. So eventually, he resigned from his prestigious position and made himself, for the rest of her life, for the next 13 years, just her full-time caretaker. He would feed her, bathe her, change her, attends to her needs, even though she had lost all capacity to speak and remember much of anything. And, and the thing is, he didn't just do this kind of with a, the sense of, of resentment. When he speaks of his, his calling, there's, when he wrote a letter to the college that he resigned from, he said at one point, I love Muriel. She is a delight to me. Her childlike dependence and confidence in me, her warm love, her occasional flashes of that wit I used to relish so, her happy spirit and tough resilience in the face of her continual distressing frustration. I don't have to care for her. I get to. It is a high honor to care for so wonderful a person. That's love. Love is kind. And if we continue through the list, we, we see in verse 5, you know, love is not irritable or resentful. I like how the NIV translated it. Love is not easily angered, and it, and it keeps no record of wrongs. You know, when a relationship goes south, oftentimes here is where things start going wrong. Imagine you have a friendship with someone. You're actually, you know, like you graduated from college and now you're both roommates. You're sharing an apartment, the first apartment you've owned. You're away for a weekend, but you're really excited because your parents are coming to see your new home and you really want them to see it great. And so when you come back just a couple hours before your parents get there and you see the apartment and it is awful. It is a pigsty. There is Food everywhere on the counter. Dishes are out. Clothing is everywhere. The bathroom that you know your roommate promised to clean is completely messy. It's awful. And you are seething. And after you get it all resolved and things go okay, when your roommate comes home, you talk to your roommate, you chew them out, and to their credit, they apologize and acknowledge that they completely blew it. And you say you forgive them, but you remember. And every time after, if they leave even so much as a spoon on the counter, if they're even a day late in doing whatever their chores are inside, you just get bothered. You become easily angered because you've kept a record of wrongs. So often our relationships get caught up in this, where something wrong happens and there's an apology, but we still hold on to it. And every time after that, it comes up, we are so angry, and it's like this baggage that we're carrying in a relationship that makes it heavier and heavier and heavier. And Paul says that's not how love is. Love, love keeps no 
record of wrongs. Love is gloriously forgetful. Not naive, but when it forgives, it no longer holds the wrongdoing against. That's how love is. It is not easily And we could go through the rest of the list. Love does not envy. Do you rejoice when someone else gets the thing that you have been wanting for a while to have and you still don't have? Love does not insist on its own way. Are you okay in losing the argument? Love does not boast. How often do you try to turn the relationship to attention upon you rather than on the other person? Again and again, this passage confronts and exposes us. Do you consider yourself an especially loving person? I'll tell you, the more that I have come to understand what love really is, and the more that I've really come to understand who I am, I have keenly felt my inadequacy in this area. This isn't false modesty or something I'm saying to try to illustrate a point. Personally, let me tell you, one of the reasons that I have desired to do this series is for my own well-being. Because I am convinced there is nothing more significant than love. There is no aspect of who we are that is more important, more beautiful, more needed. And yet I'm also aware of how far I fall short that I need to grow in love, to be the person I was created to be. And I'm hoping and trusting that some of you feel the same way. It's not just that we want to grow in love, but we, we need to grow in love. And the third thing we see in this passage is that, that we also can grow in love. There's something profoundly hopeful about the final two words of our passage that say, pursue love. And I say they're hopeful because these words are are telling us that love is not a fixed quantity. It's not something that you're born with and either you're a loving person or you're not. That love is actually something we can seek, we, we can grow in, we can train ourselves to become more loving. See, you and I have far more potential to love than we can possibly imagine. I I, I am confident that you and I are far more capable of love than we realize. And here's why. If you have trusted in Christ, God has given you his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives us the power to love. I said that Paul at the very beginning was saying, now let me show you a more excellent way. He's kind of steering them away from all of this obsession with the especially showy spiritual gifts. And what he's saying is, you now have the Holy Spirit, and that's good, and the spiritual gifts are good, but you're not yet seeking the most important thing that you can get from the Spirit, and that is the power of love. Because when we're given the Spirit, we are given God's own love within us. We are given the love of Christ within us. If you think about the list that we just considered, you could very easily take out the word love and stick in the word Jesus or stick in the word God because God is love. God, Jesus, is is 
patient. I mean, he endures our disobedience, our faithlessness. He endures it even to going to the cross and saying, as Jesus does, Father, forgive them. He is patient. He is committed. Our God is kind. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant so that he might serve us. Like, like a husband with an invalid wife, God cares and cares for us, showing kindness. God is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. When we ask for forgiveness and we're forgiven, God does not continue to hold our wrongs against us. He wipes the slate clean. God is loving. And here's the reason that's so important, because if you have the Holy Spirit, that means that very love is within you. There will be a day when you and I love so much more deeply than we possibly imagined. Parents oftentimes will say, after they've had a child, and maybe the child's grown a little bit, they'll say, I did not know I was capable of this kind of love. That is what we will all be saying when Christ returns and we are made more like him. Because we have the spirit within us. And even now, we have a capacity that we have barely tapped to love. That's why we are told to pursue love. We can. We have potential. We're, we're invited to grow. And not only is this hopeful, but this command to pursue love is a challenge. If you think about it, the idea of pursuing something implies a choice. If, if I say, or if, if someone says, like, you know, in college, that they're going to pursue a medical career, you're not going to understand from that that they're just planning on hanging out, vegging in front of Netflix, binge-watching whatever the series is, and hoping that they become a doctor. No, the idea of pursue means intentionality. It means hard work. It means planning. It means striving, right? And the implication in the word pursue is that if you don't do those things, you probably won't get there. And so when we're told pursue love, it's calling us to a choice. It's calling us to make a project of it, to seek this. And the implication is that if we don't make this choice, we might never grow in love in the way that we were called to. So I don't, I don't want to be complacent when it comes to love. You? Beginning this week and over the next couple, next, you know, 10 weeks or so, we're going to be considering how do we do this? How do we pursue love so that we might be a people who more and more grow in love? But for the time being, I just want to invite you to pray, like we were doing with Colossians. I invite you to pray a very specific prayer. In, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul prays for the Thessalonian church. He says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. And that's my prayer for us, and I invite you to be praying that with me. May the Lord make us abound and increase in love for each other. 
Lord, would you make me abound and increase in love for others? Because we want to grow in love. It, it is essential. It is eternal. We, we need to grow in love. There is so much about love that we have not yet experienced. We're so inadequate when it comes to love. And we can grow in love because we have the Holy Spirit. And so I invite you even now to take kind of a, a step towards this, to respond to God in prayer or confession. And then I'll lead us in prayer in just a couple of minutes. Would you please join with me in silent prayer as we seek to respond to God's word? Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love. And yet we, have, we acknowledge that we have failed to love as we are called to. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Father, with grief, we acknowledge our sin and ask for your forgiveness. Father, entrusting ourselves to your promise that all who call upon Christ will be saved and forgiven, we ask not only to be forgiven, but to be healed and made whole. Lord, would you increase and abound, cause our, our love to increase and abound for each other and for you, that more and more we would be the beautiful people that you have created us to be. Would you please, over these coming weeks, Lead us and guide us and fill us more fully with the love that you have given us in your Holy Spirit that more and more we might look like Christ Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good news of the gospel after having confessed our sins. We are reminded of in John 3, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Thanks be to God.